You are listening to the Dylan Taunts Podcast. All right, so I'm just going to do a quick intro. Welcome to What Is It About Bob Dylan? I'm Erin Callahan, and I am here today with Rebecca Slayman, a Gen Z expert on Bob Dylan. She earned her BA in English and Classics from Fordham. She was a staff writer at the Fordham Observer, Grain of Salt magazine, and the Broadway Beat, which was a theater satire publication. That sounds interesting. I first remember seeing you at the virtual during the lockdown 2021 World of Dylan. Because you weren't at 2019, were you? Probably nope. still too young. Um, yeah. And <laughs> you did your presentation on Twitter and social media and Dylan fandom. Is that correct? All right. And then in April 2022, and you presented in Miami with Laura. Yes. I watched that virtually as well. All right. Um, and you were on Laura Tentred's podcast last June. That's uh-huh. when I also listened to that and thought you were charming and hilarious talking about Wiggle Wiggle. <laughs> yeah, always bring it up, wiggle, wiggle. It's interesting because Rob Kelly just talked about it on the latest podcast that he doesn't want to make anyone talk about wiggle, wiggle. And I thought, I know someone who might. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is it about Bob Dylan? What is it about Bob Dylan? Okay, um, should can I launch into my origin story? Sure, do both. Sort of the intro. Okay, so. As you said, I, I graduated from Fordham in 2020. It was the last few months of my college experience were from my parents' house in Dumont, New Jersey on Zoom. Uh, so it was a, it was a rough time for everyone, obviously, but I was sort of, you know, I feel like I hit a wall with my learning experience and I wanted to continue learning and, and growing. It's like the only way I could spend my days. So, um, it was a couple of things that led me to Bob Dylan because I'm a very new convert only since 2020, which is why I wasn't at the 2019 one. Um, so I was in a class where we watched the James Baldwin documentary, I am not your Negro. And I love James Baldwin. It was my second time watching it. And I really noticed there's a whole little section on Bob Dylan in that documentary and that whole section about the civil rights movement it was 2020 the black lives matter movement was Mm -hmm. like really gaining steam and so i was like this is you know really prescient to our current time it was kind of crazy they were saying all the same things that was happening in the news and so i kind of just locked in on that little guy bob dylan in that documentary and i'm like i need to know more about him so the other part of it was there's this show called Documentary Now. Do you know this show? I, I'm not familiar. Okay. So it's a comedy show, sort of, where they pay homage to various famous documentaries. And they have an opening sequence that shows clips of these documentaries. And it, the first clip is of Bob Dylan doing the subterranean homesick blues. Right. So I made that connection in my head. And I'm like, okay. I want to continue my education. I want to feel like, you know, I'm learning something that's relevant to the present moment. I'm going to watch Don't Look Back. So that was the moment that that did it all for me. Um, It wasn't just Bob Dylan's music, which I quickly fell in love with as an English major, as someone who loves 
Shakespeare, as someone who loves to analyze music. It was more about the cultural moment that I was really interested in learning about. And the thing that really struck me was Bob Dylan was at the March on Washington. He was part of the whole folk movement, which is something I could, you know, dive into. Right. But he was still around to talk about George Floyd. Like, a month before, I saw that he had said in an interview, like, mentioned that. Right. So I was like, this guy has spanned all of, you know, pop culture in America. And yeah. I was just like, I I was upset. And of course, in Don't Look Back, he is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> he is so cute. It's so funny. And uh, his sense of humor is so relevant to the modern youth culture. So it was just all these connections were being made that I fell into an obsession. Okay, that was going to be my my next question. When did it become a major focus or an obsession? Because those of us who go to Dylan conferences and talk on podcasts and read about instead do the deep dives we are obsessed we are obsessive okay. about him so that's when it became the obsession for you it was 2020 in the lockdown yeah. yeah it was 2020 when okay so the first couple of months i got into dylan it was like march april um and it was just me diving into it on my own mm-hmm. and one day i just happened to search bob dylan on like on Google with the word fanfic, because <laughs> I was like, is there a fan fiction out there? And indeed there was. And that just made me lose my mind to find out that there were people who stan Bob Dylan in the same way you might stan like a TV show character or, right. I don't know, the Jonas Brothers or whatever. <laughs> Which is interesting. So, so what's the most interesting thing you found or the strangest thing you found when you started oh. to dive into that? Let me tell you, there is a piece of writing on an archive of our own. I think it's been privated, but it was this piece called Some Souls Like Stars, and it was between Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash. It's a fan fiction, and it's written like in this very cowboy Johnny Cash language, and it was so beautifully written, but it's like something I could never share with anyone because it is explicit in nature. (laughs) It was so good. It was like reimagining these two as cowboys in the Wild West. And that that still stays with me. Like it it was really influential to finding out, wow, there are really creative people out there who love Bob Dylan. And, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, sidebar, in my dissertation, I kind of took the quintessential American voices, and one of them is the cowboy voice. So maybe that person was kind of pulling out that cowboy voice from Dylan and creating something completely new. That's amazing. <laughs> I would love it to read so that. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I, yeah, I, I'll share it with anyone who wants to know more. <laughs> I, I, I am one of those people. <laughs> That I'm just, I'm fascinated to see how far people's creativity can take them, and that definitely might push the limit. So what is your favorite Bob Dylan of all the iterations? Hmm, this is hard to say. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of got to be the Don't Look Back Bob Dylan, because okay. that was the one I fell in love with. Or rather, maybe the one from the San Francisco press conference in 1965 right that 
I mean, it shows off that Dylan, who's sassy, who's making remarks to the press, but also he's just so normal at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you see that, like, the way that he's edited in the documentary and portrayed by the press later, it's just like a fabrication. Like, it's a characterization of the guy. But when you see all that raw footage, you know, like, he's just doing his best with all these ridiculous questions and the press, like, not being prepared. yeah, I I love I love him, and he's so funny. Yeah, he's so funny, so cute. I yeah, and it's interesting because that that's exactly like everything is so curated by the press to present him as something, and it must get so tiring to hear these ridiculous questions by people who just showed up, and they're it's more like they're going to a freak show than actually engaging with him, and he knows that, and so he kind of takes the piss. Yeah, totally, and like. I mean, it's in those press conferences, you can kind of see the creation of what we see as celebrity culture. Yeah. It, it really exists on the same level until we had, you know, TVs in our homes and, and video of this. Um, and so, yeah, when you see Bob Dylan creating this image or being characterized in this way, it's like you're kind of seeing history there for mm-hmm. those of us who care about pop culture. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, you, I, he and he does that in so many ways. That's part of my argument about the '80s too. Is that he's trying to figure out what old rock stars or you know musicians do when the technology no longer or just the pop culture has gone beyond you and doesn't really fit your style. And he doesn't doesn't know what to do, so he's trying to figure it out. Yes, I oh my god, I love that we're talking right now because <laughs> when you were on the panel about Dylan in the '80s, I just. There was so many thoughts going through my head about that and about the 80s and how that time is is portrayed in culture. I do love a shirt. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. uh, No. um, After uh, after I made, like, a comment, I was trying to talk really fast, you know, in that (laughs) panel because it was at the end of the time. I made a comment, and I made the mistake of using the word boomer. And after that... (laughs) So many boomers have come up to me or DM'd me being like, why do you hate boomers? <laughs> I saw no. some of those. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, no, that's not what I meant. I was trying to make a much more complicated point, but some people just hear that word and think like reactionary, uh, young versus old. Right. <laughs> but there, there does seem to be a bit of gatekeeping in Dylan. I mean, there's gatekeeping everywhere, but there's gatekeeping from first generation. Dylan scholars and critics, and so maybe that was part of your larger point. I don't know, but I, yeah, I I felt the room like recoil because it (laughs) is mostly older and, you know, and white and male. And so there's a point to be made, but yeah, that the word boomer definitely seems to be a trigger for a lot of folks. And you didn't mean it. What I was saying was true. What I was saying, like, boomers. Don't like the 80s. And everyone that came up to me was just saying, oh, you know, it was a different time. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm telling <laughs> You're proving my point by saying that. Right. Anyway. You do that. And sort of, here's a disclaimer. Rebecca and I are both Jersey girls, and she just sort of did the dismissive, like, anyway, like, with her hand. <laughs> and <laughs> Definitely, you can't see it in audio, but it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I understood exactly what you meant. All right, so your website, 
um, states your interest or your perspective is the science of content creation and audience engagement, end quote. Uh, so the presentations I've seen have folk that you've given, as I mentioned in the intro, focused on that. But I'm sure there are folks listening who weren't able to or fortunate enough to see those presentations. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work and as it relates to Dylan in that field, that area? Yeah, I, it's so interesting you bring that up because I definitely wrote that on my website uh, using my English degree, degree to try to get jobs. <laughs> it's just like me trying to advertise myself to sound smart. But it, it is really what I am interested in. Um, so in the past at the 2021 and at Miami, I sort of talk about the younger audience and how they came to discover Dylan and how they approach Dylan differently. And we've talked about that, how, you know, the age that you are when you discover Dylan is very important to your perception of him and where it is in Dylan's career. Right. Um, so in the past, I've talked about, you know, Younger people, Gen Z, mostly come to him like on their own. Whereas in previous generations, it can be your parents, it can be your grandparents. People younger than me might have no connection to him whatsoever. And so they're coming to him with a fresh face, not being told, this is a guy who uh, is important. This is a guy who's like a rock legend. And that influences, you know, how you're able to engage with him. Um, so yeah, I'm interested in the ways that audiences find artists, how audiences engage with artists, and, you know, it's a, it's in different, like, relationships, and I find the younger generation more irreverent in how they approach Bob Dylan, more silly, like, more reclaiming of him, because they want to rebel against the idea that he is someone who is untouchable, who's a legend, who, who can't be, you know played with in the way they do. And they really are able to uncover a lot of Bob Dylan's humor or Bob Dylan's, I don't know, the queerness in his text. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm really interested in specifically with Bob Dylan. But in the larger framework, I'm just really interested in pop culture and learning about the world. I consider myself a philosopher of the modern day. If there was a job for that, if there was a job for Bob Dylan philosopher, I would take that one. <laughs> I think you'd be hired for sure. So, but th it's interesting because I came to Dylan in a very different way. I'm sure he was on when I was a kid. My parents are boomers, and so I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, but my, when I was 12 or 13, I think it was 12, my stepdad gave me a book of Dylan's lyrics and said, take this brother, may it serve you well. And so, <laughs> old hippie. <laughs> so, um, awesome. so I just, I remember pouring through the lyrics and just falling in love with the language. And I remember as a kid, I used to read through their old LP, like the liner notes and read the lyrics. And just, I loved, I love language and as another English person. And so it just, that's how I came to Dylan. Um, and you're right, your entry point is definitely, it shapes your whole view of him. And then when I really got into Dylan, it was mostly through bootlegs. So not really albums. It was just, I, my friend just started giving me all these great bootlegs. And so it's just a weird entry point to come to Dylan. It makes so much sense though. Cause I mean, like we talk about all this other stuff, but the lyrics are really indisputably <laughs> genius. Like there's, it's right. so hard to talk about right. because how good they are. You can 
do close readings, you can do analysis, but they're just freaking good. And yeah, like mm-hmm. the way that I love Shakespeare is the way that I love Bob Dylan, like endlessly right. just gems of of beauty. And we also share I love James Baldwin. Um and I actually met Court, who's my editing partner, my co-editor on the book and the the 80s book we're going to do, because I went to his panel to see a presentation on James Baldwin and Dylan, not to see his, and that was 2019, but we became fast friends, and um, it was a brilliant presentation, and just what you were saying about Baldwin and Dylan and their relationship and civil rights, but that's the one I went to. (laughs) Wow, I, you know, I would give anything to know what they were talking about at that committee meeting, you know, those pictures of them yeah. right before Dylan goes up and like says, oh yeah, I get it. I get shooting the president. Yeah. I see. Like, what were they talking about? <laughs> I love it. But I love, I mean, James Baldwin and Bob Dylan are both people when you read their words, like you can hear their voice mm-hmm. in your head. Just yeah. such strong, singular voices. Agreed. I love that. This kind of leads me, I have a thing, I asked, I wanted to ask what you're currently working on, but your discussion about, you know, your, you know, your interest in fan culture makes me want to jump a few questions. So as a Gen Z Dylan scholar and expert, how, like, what is it, how is, and maybe you've answered this, how is it different than boomers or Gen Xers or even millennial Dylan scholars and critics? Obviously, you're saying you guys play with Dylan in a way. Like, can you, ex- can you expand on that? Because I think that's really interesting. My whole focus is making sure that this field, hopefully, not, not that I'm singular in this in any way, shape, or form, but to have a little part in making sure this field lasts like Shakespearean studies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's how I describe the conferences. I'm like, you know how people are still studying Shakespeare? That's what we're trying to do with Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that a lot of previous generations of Dylan tend to take a lot for granted because they've lived through parts of history and they're just like, you know, they remember it so well, they don't think to like describe it or analyze it in the way of someone who is insanely curious about these periods of time that were really, you know, not that long ago, but for the future, it's going to be like, well, was anyone writing some of this down? Was anyone talking about this at the time? Um, So I think I don't work. (laughs) I would like to work more with Bob Dylan. Um, I'm not like officially a scholar. I don't, I'm not in grad school or anything. But what I aim to do, I think this kind of solidified in my head at the Bob Dylan conference is I want to work on documenting like how Dylan's legacy is being shaped right now. Because, you know, we're at the late, late stages of Mm -hmm. his career and his life. And the next few years are going to be crucial and cementing that legacy and obviously the people who are in charge of dylan's estate dylan's archives are instrumental in that but the the eyes of the fans and the views of the fans are more important than anything in creating that legacy so what i hope to do and what my goal is is to try to gather all that information about what it was like what people were saying at these different times in Dylan's career. And that illuminates, like, the generations. That's always what it comes down to. Um, you know, people say, 
oh, you know, generations are made up, which they are. It's just like a way of classifying the time in which people grow up and how it influences their life. There's so much of what we experience that is a human construct. So, you know, yeah. I mean, generations are as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we live in a society and society inherently shapes who we are and how we see the world. Right. So, um, Bob Dylan is both like a perfect object to study society and how they react to certain, you know, attitudes and beliefs and music and, and icons. And he's also someone that you can look at the world with, like, how were people reacting when Dylan went electric, when he went gospel, when he started doing his old songs again? All this is, like, so important to understanding American culture, pop culture, and, yeah, I just feel like documenting this is so important to me, at least. And that's what I got from being at the conference. Everyone has such interesting ideas, like, I'm so happy that everyone can come together and generate new ones. I was, yeah, I agree with that. I was, I was energized because there are ways that people approach Dylan that are ways I would never consider just because I'm, you know, we, we are singular in our own focus. But it's just, it's so interesting to hear how people are coming at him in a different way. And Craig Danieloff, I'll give him credit. He said he was, he, did this great thing with his hands too. He's like, there's a picture of Bob Dylan and we're all filling it in. And yeah. we all have these different components of it that every piece, you know, every bit that's out there, every piece is adding to our understanding of it. And I was like, that, yeah, that, that's okay. what I want to talk about. You know, yeah. I want to hear more people. And I try to listen more than I speak when I'm at those things, at the conferences or when I'm among Dylan scholars because I want to learn what their perspective is. I know what mine yeah, is. I'm with me all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's amazing the collaborations between all of us, just like outside of the panels, even we just have such beautiful generative ideas about Bob Dylan. It, it's so beautiful. And like, yeah, he's, he's a, someone who has been, every part of his life has been written down at some point. So like, what it now what's important is what we're saying. Like, what, what do we think of him? It's right. all part of the same story. It's interesting because probably I've been focused on live performance because I, I feel this sense of urgency because he's 82, not Paul Williams, uh -huh. Dylan is 82. And there's going to come a point, as Nina Goss says, where the inevitable and unthinkable happens, either Dylan dies or he stops touring. Uh -huh. and, and we are a part of that, those, that lucky generation who have been able to see him live. And of course, uh -huh. that, that gives privilege to the older Dylan fans who are able to see him in the beginning all the way through which is delightful but then like how you're right that we have to at least try to recreate the ephemeral experience because mm -hmm. we really can't because being in that moment in that room with dylan and mm -hmm. the crowd and the energy of the crowd just can't be recreated by listening to bootlegs but we have to right tell the story to folks who weren't there so mm -hmm. that to me that's been a focus um, you don't have to be in graduate school to have a voice on Dylan. <laughs> you are, you're still a Dylan yeah. scholar. Um, that was something else I wanted to point out. I'm writing <laughs> notes as you're talking. And then he is very conscious of his legacy right now. Don't you think about how it, he's yeah. crafting it? Yeah. Whether he admits it or not, like, so the archives are getting all that stuff somehow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and like, 
you have to imagine that he has a say in everything that gets put out under his name. Except the auto pen. Except the <laughs> auto pen. Well, he was ill-informed, so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll give him that. But, um, what was I going to say? But even the, the performances, I was going to go there, just lost my train. Oh, the performances. He's playing so much from Rough and Rowdy Ways now because I think he wants as many live recordings of those, whether he wants to admit it or not, that mm-hmm. he can possibly have in like late, sort of later work. So we have is, those. Yeah. It is strange, I will say, how um, locked down these concerts are. Like, the organic bootlegs are pretty much impossible, though we find a way. <laughs> They're, like, so discouraged by the Dylan camp. Um, and that's, I mean, obviously they're recording it themselves, I assume, and yeah, on professional equipment, but strange. It makes me think that there's probably someone that they just tap, like, you can, like, they want to leak just a few, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Because if you have to but, have a um, phone in a plastic bag, I mean, how are you getting the recordings? I don't know. Like, it, people have to be creative. I mean, we're getting them somehow. Yeah. It is interesting how he or whoever's in charge is, like, so controlling over these modern recordings. and. No video. We like never get video. We barely get photos these right. days. It, so yeah, he must be very particular about this. The images. He must have really liked the Into the Mystic audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He sounds oh great God. on it. Yeah, that was so fun. I yeah. love when something new happens on <laughs> Dylan Twitter, and it feels like you know we're all in the same room. Like, does anyone have the recording on this? Oh, we found this TikTok with the audio in the background. <laughs> Can anyone strip it? That is so fun. That's like yeah. the most fun I have. Agreed. So what are you currently working on? Other other than a brilliant piece on Hearts of Fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, or the as on yet developed 80s book. Yeah. Um, so I have some podcast appearances coming up. I'm going to go on Pod Dylan again. Um, I'm going to be working with Laura Tenchert oh, uh, more closely. Uh, we recorded something about the world of Dylan, and um, I'm probably going to be more collaborative with her in terms of definitely Dylan, which is great. I think she's just the best. That's fantastic. Yeah. We don't know what capacity yet, but I, I'm really excited about that because this the world of Dylan was so fun. Oh, my gosh. Agreed. It was amazing. I and I felt so much joy and like there was something magical about being around all these people who were also respectful and like we all just were there because we cared about something so deeply. Um, and I am. It kind of made me like reconsider a lot of things in my life. I'm like I want to focus more on this. Like if there was a Bob Dylan fan cult, I would <laughs> go and join it right now because it's just. It made me so happy and so fulfilled. And people like you, like, made me feel so welcome and, like, my opinion mattered. It does. And that's something that, Thank you for saying that. Of course, yeah. That really, like, changed my whole perspective when when you were like, yeah, on this panel, something you said influenced this thing that I thought. (laughs) And it was just, like, the magic of collaboration and, and, like, just this loving, you know, community. 
Um, so I, I don't know what I'm working on next. But I want to focus more on Bob Dylan and hopefully have more output for my, my loving fans out there. <laughs> of course. But I think that's one thing. Laura and I had a conversation. We were all sitting in the lobby, I think, Saturday night. Like, what is it that makes this so great? And I was like, well, because Dylan, like, we're just here to support each other. And I've decided that I don't want any gatekeeping in my world. Mm-hmm. There, can, there can be nothing negative in my Dylan experience. And as soon as I feel a tinge of that, I kind of figure out what's going on and I figure out how to get past it. But yeah, we're all, I want everyone to succeed. I want to help if I can. And I feel like everybody feels that way. And it's just, it's such a beautiful experience just to be around people who want to do good work and support each other. Yeah. And, and it was amazing being there as, uh, you know, a younger person, early career person, surrounded by all these like authors and professors and, you know, professionals in this world of, of Bob Dylan, even if it's not like your primary thing or, or whatnot. It was so inspiring that, you know, people could make a living off of <laughs> Bob Dylan. Like after that, I searched on Indeed Bob Dylan jobs. <laughs> what did I you find? Nothing. <laughs> there was nothing out there, but. We yeah. all had a little bit of hope for a split second there, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what did you yeah. find? Tell us. Maybe move to Tulsa and work the ticketing at the Bob Dylan Center, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. But I, you know, I'm determined. I'm going to figure it out. Bob you Dylan will. job. We call it Bob Dylan sleepaway camp, the world of Dylan, because everybody's there. We, I come back like just energized and happy, and it's just all Bob Dylan all day. And it's, <laughs> yeah. It's like being at sleepaway <laughs> camp. Yeah, and it, and it's like, Bob Dylan fans are elite. Like, <laughs> they're, they're everywhere. It's the, like one of the biggest underground fandoms. Like, y- y- people you don't even know are Bob Dylan fans are Bob Dylan fans. Musicians, comedians, you know, late night show hosts. How can you not there. be? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that's He's, a biased perspective, but. No, it's indisputable. Like, the lyrics, the, the guy, the Influence. image, the voice, all of it. It's iconic. Right. They're I, all great. <laughs> so how does, so speaking of your inspiration for Career on Dylan, how does he inspire your writing? Oh, so I've taken up like a, a bit of a hobby where I'm, where I'm learning guitar. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I've never really done fictional writing. I just, it has not come easily to me. But I was like, maybe I could dabble in, in song. And so I was trying to seek inspiration from some of my favorite artists. And with Bob Dylan, it was just impossible to try to like <laughs> play around with his songs. They're so perfectly crafted and say exactly what they mean to say that I found that very difficult. But, you know, that's inspiring me to keep trying, you know, being creative in a way so essential to living a mm-hmm. happy life, I think. Um, but in terms of the writing that I, I do do, I end up, I end up being very analytical. Um, for a while it was my dream job to be a critic, like a theater critic or mm-hmm. a film critic. Um, I haven't really 
gravitated towards that in a while. But the analysis, the close reading, is really what I'm interested in. And so when I am, you know, I'm still deep in a Dylan obsession, I just want to know everything about his life. And so I do the learning, I analyze in my head, and then, like, he's just, like, the source. He is the source code for inspiration in in reading anything about him or in, you know, pop culture in general. He's such a good beacon of, like, of inspiration. I don't know. He's a fount. <laughs> Do you gravitate more toward biographical work or the creative, like, the lyrics? Um, mostly, like, the lyrics and document documents, like, documentarian efforts mm-hmm. on him. Um, the biographies, I find, a lot of them are so already analytical, mm-hmm. like, they all have a perspective because there's so many out there. Like you have to have some kind of in right. to separate from yourself from the other biographies. So they are interesting to me in the perspectives that they put out there. But in doing my own writing, I try to find more like first um, primary sources and stuff like that. I, there, there's definitely there's a lot of editorializing in the the, the biographies. But it's important to have the facts, I think, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. But I tend to focus more, you're right, on the primary source, either the documents or the audio, video, and the lyrics. Yeah. And then figuring out the why of, mm-hmm. like, why did... It's so it's such an impossible task to find out why did Dylan do any of this. Right. So it's much easier for me to be like, why did... Uh, audiences react in this way? Why right. did critics react in this way? That's sort of the sphere I found myself. It's interesting. I'm looking forward to more of your stuff. I find, too, the characters that inhabit Dylan's songs to be interesting, and I, mm-hmm. I, I want to focus on them a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had some great conversations with Laura. I remember when we were recording the podcast last time about the women in Dylan's mm-hmm. songs. Like, there's a lot to be explored there. Right. Um, it's 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 hard to say because it's just Dylan's perspective. Mm-hmm. But like, you find such specific qualities of women, and you know, not just her effect on him, but like just these these little nuggets of what he sees in a specific character right. that are so <clears throat> illuminating. It's like, it's just pure poetry. And it's hard to see, like, what what would this woman look like? What Who is she in the world? It, right. it's, it's impossible to know. But yeah, it's interesting, though, just how these, these women or just the characters exist in this world that he's created in his lyrics. Yeah, I mean, when you listen to Dylan, like, so many times it can you know get very hypnotic that you kind of forget to think about what's actually going on in the Mm -hmm. song i find i you know i listen to him all the time and i'm still like wait what is what is he talking about what is going on here like tight connection to my heart right (laughs) every once in a while i'll return to that song and be like why is he talking about transubstantiation here? <laughs> kind of um, amazing and awesome. That's yeah, very Shakespearean. Yeah, and I've been listening to, as we all have, um, Shadow Kingdom. And mm-hmm. Queen Jane approximately is like, it's, it's just resonating right now. 
Yes. I always saw that song. Like, there was something about it that struck me as very lesbian. The way that he talks about my chambermaids. Oh, yeah. I always imagine, like, like two princesses <laughs> being attended on and, like, trying to find these clandestine meetings. That's interesting. Now I'm going to listen to it differently today. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. All right. So have you ever had pushback when you tell people that you study Dylan and they kind of look at you like... I mean, I've had that. I think we all experience that. Um, and I, I put in my notes that when I was almost laughed out of my advisor's offices, offices when I told them I wanted to write my dissertation on Dylan because they wanted me to write out something more serious. And then even after he, you're rolling your eyes. I did too. Crazy. Yeah. It's crazy that anyone would say that. And the other day I was, I was talking to someone and I was like, it, so he said, what do you do? I said, well, I teach college English and I write about Bob. Bob Dylan Scott, he had this face. I'm like, no, it's a thing. Like, it's actually a real thing. And he yeah. was like, could you explain it? So how do you think we get future, gen encourage future generations to take us seriously to study Dylan? Because he is, you know, an old white guy. And maybe that's not, you know, that's a difficult sell or, and to develop the field of Dylan studies within and outside academia. Like, how do we keep this thing going? I think that things are looking hopeful from my perspective because saying that you're a fan of Bob Dylan with people like my age and around my age is like really cool. Okay. Like because he's so influential on musicians, filmmakers, like people who are interested in serious art, like you can't say you don't like Dylan. Like you can say you don't get Dylan. Right. But I think that saying you like Dylan is, like, getting you into a secret club. At least that's what I find in just, like, my casual, um, like, with my coworkers and stuff. People think it's really cool that I like Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people are starting to get it that he is a scholarly pursuit. Because, you know, you've heard in the last, like, two decades, there's been, like, did you know that you can take a class on Harry Potter? Because, you know, you can take a class on Taylor Swift. Like, I think the fan studies and pop culture studies is sort of seeping into academia more. Mm -hmm. And Bob Dylan is more serious and established than either of those things. So I have hope that his legacy is going to be, like, okay. I think it's going to be okay in that way because there's so many of us already. Mm -hmm. um, I know... I have friends on Twitter, and I see trends on TikTok about Bob Dylan, and they love him. And I think that, I keep bringing this up, and people keep asking me about it, the Timothy Chalamet movie mm -hmm. is going to be major. I mean, Agreed. Tim Timothy is already, like, a huge, <laughs> we love him. I yes. mean, we love him. Some people are skeptical, and I get that, uh, but, you know... It, James Mangold did walk the line. It's it's the the music bio that spawned many other things. So I think that will have a lot to do with it. But Bob Dylan as a subject, I have faith in it. I agree with that too because there are there's sort of there used to be more territorialism or gatekeeping as we say, especially among the disciplines where you know 
that's not serious. I was told once by a professor at Rice that um, the American literature is bastardized, oh no, ghettoized in the canon. I was like, first of all, that's offensive. Don't say that. <laughs> and Jesus. said, because he was a Victorian, he was a Britlet Victorian. And I felt like, well, I like the American voice, so I'm going to just stay with this. Um, uh-huh. I appreciate your advice, but, uh, and I feel like, uh, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And I feel the same way about Dylan studies from older generations who are trying to maybe keep the canon as it was and they are more traditional um, in their approach, but hopefully we can explode the canon and bring everything in. Yeah, I mean, time, I think time will solve any of the issues going mm-hmm. on here because we are involved and we are important to the Dylan canon and, and Dylan image, how we remember them. We already are part of that. Um, but, you know, as time goes on, to me, Dylan is already like canonized. He is mm-hmm. one of the greats in music. Even before I was really into him, I knew that inherently. Like, Dylan and the Beatles are mm-hmm. the most important in history. And going forward, like, people are still going to talk about it. Like, people still talk about John Lennon or right. Elvis or Michael Jackson now. Like, as people pass, as time goes on, it's it's just going to keep getting bigger, I think. When I was doing my research for the paper at the conference is when I really started getting into fan studies, which mm-hmm. I didn't realize was a whole academic genre, yep. which was really, really exciting to me because I'm like, that's exactly what I'm interested in. And it cites like the beginning of modern fandom is Star Trek, which is, you know, uh, the 60s, same time period. Yeah. Uh, spawning fandom before the internet even. And it wasn't just like nerdy white guys, like housewives were tuning in to Star Trek mm-hmm. every week. It was the thing to do. And now Star Trek is, you know, one of the biggest franchises in American culture. So I have faith that everything will work out just fine for Bob Dylan. Okay. Well, we're, we're counting on you <laughs> to carry the torch forward. Um, all right, so a little lighter question. Uh, what is your favorite Dylan memory, um, concert or live performance or anything else? Oh, I saw him at the Beacon, uh, last year and it was incredible. Like, Dylan's delivery makes me laugh with joy so much mm-hmm. and getting to see, I mean, the thing that people complain about with Dylan conference concerts is the thing that I, find so much delight in is how he'll phrase something in the most bizarre way you can imagine. Yes, we know how it sounds other way on the album. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we know how it's supposed to sound. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear like the thing that makes it exciting to Dylan to sing. Like he obviously takes a lot of joy out of performing. He's still touring at 82. Right. Like, And he has to keep it fresh and new and exciting for himself. And to me, that is really exciting. Um, But the the coolest part of the night was at the very end, like, still like, oh, my God, that was so amazing. We're on, like, the right aisle next to exit doors. Mm -hmm. So we leave at the doors. We were not supposed to leave. (laughs) (laughs) We're leaving at the doors. We're getting yelled at. No, 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 that's not the exit. Too late. We're already outside. We see a big black car 
slam door slam shut and drive away. I'm like that's got to be him. Oh that my was god! Definitely <laughs> so I'm cool. So close <laughs> to him. And you know, if I had just been a little bit faster, I would have saw him. That was definitely Bob Dylan. That was really cool for me. <laughs> that's very cool. I've yeah. never been that close. That's so cool. Oh wow. <laughs> See, don't listen to me t- people telling you you're going the wrong way. Dude, it was absolutely the right way. <laughs> it was the right way. I know what I'm doing. Right. And the Beacon Theater, I don't know if it was just here or, you know, it's just like this everywhere. They were so crazy about the security and the phones. Like, they had so many security guards in every aisle with the flashlights and, like, Twice a song, you'd see them run over to someone. Hey, no recording. Hey, no filming. We had that, not so much because I saw him at the Anthem, the, the show that Laura flew over for. And I wanted to see, I've never seen him at the Beacon. And that's one of my bucket list shows, having grown up in New Jersey too. But um, it didn't feel as much like that at the Anthem. But when we saw him in Houston and Court was there too, there were some people in front of us who were recording and then the guy came over once and told him to put his phone away. And then the couple started fighting and I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and then he did it again and they got thrown out. And I'm like, I would not, I would not. uh, That's the second show I've been at where someone's gotten thrown out for something. (laughs) But I was like, you can't risk it, but also I, someone's got to do it. I know, <laughs> I know. So I was glad it was him because I don't want to get thrown out of a Dylan show. But, yeah, that would be awful. And the wife or girlfriend who left with him, I would not go. I'd be like, I'm so sorry that you're getting thrown out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll tell geez. you how it was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. I gotta see Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, I'm not leaving. I'm I'm not ride or die to that to that level. <laughs> no way. All right, so. What is the last? It's a, it would, this was a song, actually, or a question Nina asked once, and I thought, ah, that's great. Um, so I stole it from her. What's the last song you ever want to hear in your life, the last Dylan song, and why? The last Dylan song I ever wanted, like, before I die? Well, I mean, yeah, I didn't want to be macabre, but yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> your, your deathbed Dylan song. There you go. Whoa. Okay. You know, my first thought is Desolation Row. Okay. But alive first. Like, okay. he's there to angels. <laughs> so you get to me. Because, okay, Desolation Row is one of the best songs ever. So I you want Dylan so to much. serenade you on your, your transition yeah, from the physical but, to the spiritual. <laughs> I mean, uh, so Harry Hugh talked about it in his um, paper, and he's talked about it a lot with mm-hmm. me, and I'm sure a lot of people that Desolation Row was originally, like, people were laughing at it. Right. It has a lot of punchlines. It's really funny. Yeah. So I want him to sing it because it, the way he sings it now, even, like, in the recent past, is so funny. He's just like, everybody making love? I was <laughs> expecting rain. <laughs> it's just so cheeky and fun. And it's such a great, you know, balance of, macabre and comedy to me and i think that would make me really happy i mean i hope i'm not going to date desolation row in my final moments but i have hope for you (laughs) that would bring me a lot of joy (laughs) so what's a song and this is an addition that you haven't heard him sing live that you will want to hear him sing live uh it's that song i mean i've seen a lot of recordings of him Mm -hmm. in the last couple years performing it but he didn't play it when i saw him 
I've only seen him once since being a Dylan fan. So, yeah, a Desolation Row. I want to see him play it and mm-hmm. be really funny when he plays it. It's my dream. Okay. <laughs> I saw him, um, the one that I did, was this in 03, I think? 03, 04. He played Blind Willie McTell. He played two shows in Houston. And the first night he played Blind Willie McTell. And I was devastated because I had a final in my in a class for my first master's. And I thought he wasn't oh. going to do it, but he did it again the next night. And I was like, oh, wow. It was so that's, good. That's history right yeah, there. Yeah, it was so good. But I, it, he was still changing the set list nightly, you know, mm-hmm. or mostly at that time. And I thought he's never going to do it again, but he did. Ooh. I was so happy. One of my favorite Dylan songs that, I mean, he's never, I don't think he's ever played live was I'll Keep It With Mine. Oh, I love that song. I love that song. He sounded so beautiful mm-hmm. on the recording of it. Like, his voice was just so perfect. Yep. And it's so sweet. And then he, like, gave it away to Nico or whatever. Yeah. And never touched it again. But that is a song that I would die to hear him sing. That was one of my, my final two when I made my list of songs I wanted to do on Pop Dylan. I narrowed right. it down to three. And then I I actually took that one out of contention. Uh, I so, I suggest it every time Rob's like, what's the songs? What, what songs do you want to do? Right. I always keep it in there because I, I talk about it. It's so beautiful. Why doesn't he pick it? I don't know. I don't know why Rob does or doesn't like my suggestions, but <laughs> I often have to send at least two lists. <laughs> I actually sent two songs, and one he nixed because it's his favorite song, Series of Dreams, and I, I that's oh, fair. So I'm yeah. doing The Wicked Messenger. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I have a really exciting one, but I want to keep it a surprise. Okay, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are, is there any, this has been a delight. You are absolutely lovely and brilliant and have so much energy, and I'm so excited to talk Thank to you. you. Anything else that you want to add before we, before we close? I think we covered all of it, but this <laughs> has been like, so fun. I can't believe that we met. I feel like we, it was destiny I know. that the two of us meet. We are, we're such kindred spirits. Oh, that's sweet. I agree. And we have, you know, background in common. Not just yeah. Jersey girls, but like the same area, similar, ch- the, oh, the same church. Like, yes. just like, it's crazy. It makes me so happy. And we get along so well, and I'm so happy you invited me to do this. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you agreed. All right, I'm going to um, now stop recording. Thank you for listening to the Dylan Tons Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to have the Dylan Tons sent directly to your inbox. And share the Dylan Tons on social media.